You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Oh my gosh. All right, let's skip the music. Yeah, music will be skipped. Let's get to work. All right. What's going on this week, guys? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The the world the world and the real estate market did not stop because of the Fourth of July. That's true. Were I you mean, busy all week? Ben, yeah, it's been. Uh, we've had to work. What you, Andrew? Um, nope, no work. Okay. I kind of got back in the office here on uh, Tuesday, um, but we had appointments booked. Um, we, uh, you know, the first, I had my first, this is the first week I've ever been affected by, um, the, the COVID where actually I was up at the cabin and then one of the kids that was at the cabin came home and just thought, you know, they heard so many people talking about being close to it. They thought, well, I'm just going to get tested. So they went and got tested. They showed up positive. What? Um, Yeah. And so now there's 16 people that have all scrambled and ran down to the old CVS and had their tests done and we're all patiently waiting. But so what I did out of courtesy is I was hired last week um, to list a house and up here in in my neck of the woods on the lake and was excited because I I beat out three other real estate agents. And then when I called on uh, Tuesday and said, you know what, guys, I have to do this over Zoom because until I hear that I'm not affected by this. I, I don't want to jeopardize your health. And the the seller thought I was scamming them and said, nope, we'll just go with somebody else then. And I said, you're 78 years old. I'm doing this 100% for your safety. And the guy said, no, thanks. We'll go with somebody else. What? Blew my mind. I'm like, okay, fine. So you want me to be irresponsible and jeopardize your health, even though I feel fine. I'm just, it just blew my mind. So I, uh, I wish him well. Um, good luck with your marketing and uh, in your weird perspective on life. That's crazy. That's what Chris would do to me. You know what? If you can't show up, you Sally, you're, you're fired. Well, I don't even know why I'm on this podcast with you. If you're, if you're positive here. I don't... Um, I'm just trying to, I'm not, there's oh, no okay. way. I feel, <laughs> I feel too good. Is there a way to like get that through a screen? Isn't that the whole point of working from home? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Never know anymore. If you just look the whole screen, you guys are all sick. <laughs> well, if this is being sick. I'm not very uh, scared. Oh my, God. oh my gosh. Well, that's crazy. So how long do you have to quarantine, Andy? Um, I, well, you have to go get tested. So we went, we all went and we're tested. We're waiting on the results. Okay. If you're clear. You're clear. But if you're, um, if you're not, they, uh, I think it's like 10 days you have to hang out at your house, but. Okay. Wow. And did the, did the kid at your cabin have symptoms? Uh, no, not until they realized they had it, which was weird. They were just paranoid. They, so they went in there to be tested and they were, they went in and also they go, yep, you got it. Um, you know, it took a day. And then every, and then that phone call came back to everybody that was just leaving the cabin and everybody's like, oh my God, you know, like we were, then you start thinking about, was I safe? Was I actually using, you know, distancing practices? And I, I not that I'm a weirdo, but I generally do um, act like everybody's got the flu anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, always, yeah, I always wash my hands, try not to, you know, I don't grab a pop somebody else's drink out of. I've 
always been pretty safe, but this one's a weird one because it's apparently, uh, and I'm not an expert, but um, it's airborne. So like when Uncle Andy takes all the kids to the Dairy Queen and uh, they're all in the car, that's what I was worried about. So. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Wow. Well, I hope you guys are safe and healthy and nothing, uh, you don't catch COVID. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that as well. And I think too, if any other, if any of Andy's other clients don't want to use him, they could call me. (laughs) That's so nice of you, Chris. I'm just, I'm trying to help. Can you believe that though? Honestly, that somebody would be right there. Can you believe it, Chris? I don't even know what to say about that. I I had one of my guys on my team going out there to sign the paperwork and everything. It wasn't even like we were delaying anything. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Have you experienced anything different this week, Chris? Normal market um, for you? Busy market? No, no, it's, it's still, it's still going. Um, And usually it's, it's kind of interesting around the 4th of July, historically, you know, we always talk about what historically, what uh, things have been like. And usually around the 4th of July, it, it slows down. You know, and a lot of July is slowing down, slows down, but uh, not no more. I mean, it's just, I mean, when you continue, and I think we're going to be talking about it, but when you continue um, with low inventory, it's, I think it's just, the market's just going to continue being good um, it, for good for what we have available to us. That makes sense. Yep. Well, that's a, that's a nice little lead into today's topic. Um, today we are chatting about is summer the new spring market, um, which I think is interesting for, for Minnesota buyers and sellers, especially given that the, the real estate market was so high, highly visible earlier this spring. Um, and then how that's going to impact different people in the Minnesota market when that's a national number versus whether, whether that's a locally impactful topic as well, which we wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't. But um, so guys, if we're talking about the typical market versus this year's market, if you're not in real estate, you might not know what the spring market means. I know when I first started working with realtors, I had no clue what they were talking about and I had to figure it out on my own. (laughs) So what does that even mean? Well, you know, we uh, we kind of run through cycles normally in a in a non-stimulated market. I'll, let me explain. So, stimulated meaning like crazy interest rates, or maybe there's crazy opportunities with like there's tons of foreclosures or reasons why people would buy that are out of the norm of of regular life activities. Um, the market's always moving. There's always you know death, divorce, um, family adjustment on size. But historically, we have winter. And coming into the spring, we have what they call a spring market, which is basically, you know, March, April, May, some of June. And that's, you'll see on a chart, it kind of comes up and it peaks for for amount of houses for sale, people looking. Then, like Chris just said, summer vacation hits us. Memorial Day is the warning shot usually across the bow. And 4th of July is usually the time you should start taking your vacations. So historically, this is the time of year that my family and I normally do go up to the headwaters and wander around northern Minnesota. and and have our vacations, but we're like, like Chris was also saying, we're, we're still busy. So we're not, um, you know, taking our hands off the wheel of the ship yet because it's, it, we still have a lot of, uh, a lot of deals to get done. So, um, but yeah. then again, it, and, and it picks and up think, the ball again too. And I think too, Andy, when you say that, um, a lot of trying to get the deals done, it's, 
it's one of those things that the market is so fast moving that it is hard to like get away from it. You know, if you have clients, um, obviously you have help. Um, I have help as well, which helps us be able to get away. Um, but you have to react very quickly now. I mean, especially from the, the buyer side, but the seller side is also really frantic as well, because maybe you're trying to hit a price segment that's really hot and you're trying to get it on the market. And there's a lot of things that go into getting a house on the market, um, whether it's, you know, from a staging standpoint to photography to, to the marketing aspect uh, of a listing. So it's, it's just, it is, it's, it's a weird thing because it's, it's hard to get away and nothing's consistent anymore. Um, but yet it's really consistent. <laughs> and, and when I say that, it's like, historically, we think, Hey, here's, here's when the times are busy, we're going to work hard. Hey, Andy's going to go on vacation, you know, at this certain time, because he knows over the years, this is the thing that slows down. And now we don't, we don't know that. Right. And it's, it's been literally crazy there. It's kind of, I had three highlights that I pulled out of the stats. Um, right now, the hottest price range with the strongest sales is the 350 to 500. That's up 14.9%. Wow. Yep. And then um, obviously the hottest uh, style or type of house is single family still. Um, and then the uh, construction status, new construction is up 10.8%. Um, so. I think Is that over saying, last year? Yeah. Wasn't last year kind of a record year for new construction? Yeah, but you know what they do, Courtney, is they skew the numbers when they say, you know, all of a sudden you have Doran Company bring on a 600-unit apartment building in downtown Minneapolis, and that counts as 600 sales or 600 residences. So it skews the numbers a little bit. So new okay. construction, we use a, another product called the Keystone Report that literally shows permits pulled, the value of the permits, and areas, the builders, and it's it's pretty, it's it's kind of like, you know, there's no secrets. Um, there's no way to skew those numbers. And so those numbers are pretty solid. But, you know, what was interesting to me is the pending sales. Here was another, I'll, I'll kind of run through the brackets real quick. I know it's a bore, Chris, but um, sales under 120,000 are down 28%. Um, sales from 120 to 150 are down 22.8%. Because there is none. What's that? Because there's no listings in that price range. Correct. Right. Yeah, that was the that was my trivia question coming. Oh darn it! Under one fifty to one ninety down twenty one percent. One ninety to two fifty is down about three percent. Now you jump to the two fifty to three fifty, it's up nine percent. So it flipped, right? Uh, the three fifty to five hundred, which we just mentioned was the hottest, is at fourteen point nine percent up. Um, and even your your uh, Chris Rooney land over a million is up two point two percent. Um, there's big demand. So I think with the low interest rates, you're seeing people jump up a bracket or two in price. Um, so there's less competition and then they can actually secure a property. They get more features. They, you know, it doesn't necessarily give them the opportunity to like, let's say do the improvements themselves because they may already be done, but, um, it, people, people are looking for houses. So. Yeah. I think those, and I think too, Andy, I think those, those one twenties to one fifties, their houses are now one nineties. And instead of buying two fifties to three, they're buying three fifty to five, and I think that's our market has just shifted, and uh, the sales have just gone up. And I mean, obviously, the the lower market is is very very hard um, to you know to make something happen. We had a we had a call and someone's looking for two twenty five, and it's just kind of like yeah yeah, 
I mean, you can get them, but here's, here's the facts and here's what you have yeah. to know before going into it. Otherwise it's just a, an exercise of just seeing what houses you'll lose if you don't, you know, properly set yourself up. And so it's kind of like, Hey, we're going to get some extra money from mom and dad. You can pay them back later. You know, we're getting 20% down, um, just becoming a lot more, um, you know, hey, these are the things that we're going to have to do to be able to get a house. If you don't want to do them, I mean, we can still, we can try, but we might be just having some fun for five or six houses until right. maybe you get one. Well, and I'm starting to see a lot of the investors come back into the market. I've got one of my guys I've been working with since 2006, um, tries to buy a property or two every year. And he's from out East and he, he comes back here to visit his relatives, gets bored, drives around, calls me and wants to buy properties. I'm not joking with you. And he calls this Mexico because he goes, oh, the prices out here, they're so cheap. It's like buying something in Mexico. <laughs> so we, we go in on a property down in Brooklyn Park. It's a townhouse listed for 150000 We went in there at 175 cash, no inspection, closing in seven days. We didn't oh, get my it. gosh. We didn't it's get good. it. You didn't, didn't get, get it? it? Didn't get it. Wow. Can you imagine that? And that so, it was a nice little pocket right by Edinburgh. And so I told him, I says, we got to be strong. We have to hit this thing hard um, to get it. And so we did everything you could imagine in the book. Um, you tell us when to close. You tell us what, you know, color you want the paper to be that we write it on. I mean, everything that they wanted. And, and it was, uh, we didn't get it. So yeah, do you some... think that, do you think that this is um, going to continue? Or do you think this is kind of a 2020, just a 2020 trend because of COVID? You know, I think sometimes when you do something long enough, it starts, I mean, it's just like this whole COVID thing. People are starting to get used to it and uh, adapting to different ways of doing things. I mean, I met with some clients the other day and I I mean, we finalized a a deal and it was like, uh, you can't even shake their hands anymore. I mean, to me, it's just really, it's a, it's a weird thing. And so, and maybe the market is too. I mean, people, you know, I think it's political. The well, politics, the COVIDs, the whatever, you know, it, it's everything is so split now and people are really nervous about um, the virus and they're not putting their house on the market. And I think anytime that you have an inventory that's going to be low like this, I mean, I, I think it's unpredictable what's going to happen. I just don't, it's really hard to uh, envision and it's just, yeah. No, you're right. And I think that it's, like I keep telling all my clients, go outside with your family, look at the trees, go on a little vacation, take a couple day drive up north, go see the North Shore, um, you know, enjoy what you have around you, the things you can control, and and don't worry about all this other stuff you can't because it, this world of everybody's faces and their cell phone, I can't stand it. You you, <laughs> <laughs> you totally inspired me with your speech. <laughs> in in uh, Rooney Land where the palm trees flow, um, yeah. No, the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I just, I just tell everybody, calm down a little bit, relax. Actually, there's a lot of business being done, very normal business, profitable business. And uh, it's, it, it doesn't have to be stressful. It, it, it's, it's your choice to get wound up and all that stuff. But I tell you, I do, I am advising all my clients to get their houses sold before September. I think you start getting to that September, November um, timeframe, that election is going to be a very big distraction. And and there's always gonna be somebody selling because of, like I said before, life happens, right? Um, people die, divorce, you know, uh, financial situations, whatever. But for the most part, if you're electing to sell, 
Um, I, I think it's a good strategy to sell right now and the market's hot. Um, you know, get those market, I'd, I'd rush my project, maybe even bring it to market a little earlier than I would have expected. Um, just because I don't know what's going to happen um, during the election. It could get slow. It could get busy. Who knows? So do you think that this is, do you think with the, do you think that summer has become the spring market? Do you guys think that, are you experiencing that in your businesses? I, th- I think uh, spring, summer, fall, and winter are the spring market now. And it's just- Yeah, last different... year it was, it was late too, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that was weather related. You know, we couldn't, th- people couldn't get nothing on the market and they weren't prepared. And we talk, we, we always used to talk about that on the radio in the fall. Get your stuff ready now. Have your outside ready. Because you can't, we, we can't determine what the weather is like in the spring anymore. You know, people used to go on, you know, in Super Bowl and uh, nope. Oh, we're going to go on in, you know, April because, or end of March, because there's going to be grass and oh, nope, there's not. And that, you know, snow, um, and, and maybe you don't have snow and then your yard looks horrible. And if you, it, it's just a, it's just be prepared and get yourself, start getting yourself prepared if you think you're going to do it get ahead of yourself, even if it's a year ahead of time. I mean, we have a lot of people call us that are looking a year, two, three years out and want to know what to do so they can kind of get ready. Yep. I think that, you know, you start getting that sunshine, you start getting that sunshine in, uh, in the uh, uh, early, you know, March and April and people start thinking spring. And I'm telling you, it, it seemed like the spring market kept creeping earlier almost into where it was between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, you guys are ridiculous. Just for the record, you're ridiculous. Um, I go invisible when I change my background. <laughs> Andy, it doesn't technical pick me up anymore. Andy, these trees in my background are your your place at night. I'm just on the other side of the river there. They, they know that I'm actually dumping toxic waste in the pond. <laughs> exactly. So it's so bright on your side. Yeah, it's, there's no way that's natural. Um, uh, no, so the, uh, you know, but the idea there, guys, is this, long story short, timing the market is a tough thing. What we can always do is we can guess on the future. We cannot um, really give you a guarantee. So when people say, I want to sell next year, it could be the best market we've ever seen, or it literally could dry up and slow down and be 10% slower. Um, the one thing I can tell you, though, is I've seen, even in the worst of worst markets, Houses don't drop 30% overnight or 40% overnight. They go down two or 3% at a time. When you start seeing the trend going down and you're nervous and you want to sell and you're, you know, like a lot of my, my empty nester retired couples, um, you know, were kind of the, um, well, we, we want to get into our retirement house. Well, if you need the equity in your existing house and the market starts slowing down and trending away from the McMansions, like I said, that five hundred to $700,000 price range is, one of the most sensitive price ranges out there um, because I think you have to have your house in perfect condition to sell it and make a profit, but you're successful. So you buy that nicer house, but yet it's, it's, it seems like when people get successful, they want to build their own house or they want to buy a house they can remodel and make their own or it better be exceptional on a beautiful lot or whatever, you know, your, your rhyme or your reason is, but, um, but you see in market like right now and you want that equity, you should, you should probably, you know, take advantage of it. Do you think that there's going to be an impact? <laughs> so I had to try it, but there's it, it makes me invisible. The first thing they tell you with green screens is not to wear stripes. <laughs> You'd think I know I would know that. Um, 
<laughs> but do you think that there's going to be an impact from on the housing market from a foreclosure standpoint in 12 to 18 months? Do you think there's going to be an opportunity for investors or do you think that it's going to stay solid? I don't. Again, I, don't. I, I don't think you'll, you may not see that opportunity again in your lifetime. The housing crisis that we had was years of, excuse my French, BS, um, business practices, government practices, and they were building a house of cards and it just all fell at one time. Right now with 44%, I think it was creeping up to, of houses that are paid for free and clear across the country. And then the ones that are mortgaged, it was like crazy, like over 50% of them have significant equity of what's left. And then whatever beyond that. So when they say, oh, the foreclosures are coming, who? Who's giving up all their equity? Nobody will do that. And with interest rates at 3%, my God, you can figure out a way to pay your payment. This isn't like you're paying 12% interest and you've got a $5,000 a month house payment on a $200,000 house. I mean, this is, you know, and, and you still get the tax deduction. I just, I don't see foreclosed. Now, I see short sales. I see mortgage modifications. I see where when you're in a pandemic like this, people may need help, but they're not walking away. And and there's and when people say there's foreclosures, I'm like, where are you getting that information? Because right now the feds are not allowing you to foreclose anyway. So the, the foreclosure notices you're seeing are reprints of the reprints of the reprints from last fall. So it's not accurate. That makes sense. Yeah. Big news. Wait. Is that- <laughs> it is all over the news right now that there's a high foreclosure rate, but I personally haven't seen anything on the market. But that's like saying there's a lot of people going into a store and the store is closed. That, Think about it. The stores are packed with people, but the stores are a closed. Second. You, you can't foreclose right now. They, they won't foreclose on you. They're not starting proceedings right now. So it doesn't even make sense. Correct. Now, defaults or missed payments or putting the payments on the backside of a mortgage are different. Um, there's default rates. That's different than foreclosures. Foreclosures are, I mean, those are 18 to 24 months. If we did see foreclosures as a fallout of this um, pandemic, you're not going to see it for another 12 to 14, 18 months. So, um, sorry, I took it to us down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but bringing us back to the spring to summer market or like just the real estate market in general, since there's no timing associated with it anymore, it seems like it seems like what there's plenty of buyers on the market right now that are looking for homes to buy. What there aren't a lot of is sellers. So why do you think why do you think that is, and what makes now, if you've been considering selling, or if you have clients that are considering selling, what makes now the time to buy, or to, the time to sell? Yeah, obviously their their value has gone way up. I think it's uncertainty is is holding them back. Um, it's where they're going to go if the, if there is something that they they want to go to. Um, I think there's people that are just modifying what they have, you know, and, and wondering if this whole thing is going to cause a recession and be a problem. So it's kind of like, do I take that next step? Do I move to the next step or do we just hunker down and Hey, we'll fix a couple things up here and then uh, we're, we're ready for it. Well, I think the recession's inevitable. I mean, the numbers are going to be down. It, it, it's not like a, a result of the economic output. It's because people aren't working. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, a, I, and I'm not trying to be the guy that doesn't, you know, the emperor has no clothes here, but um, the, uh, the, the idea there that 
there's going to be not a slowdown. You're going to start seeing that now. Actually, the next couple of weeks, the reports will start coming in from the second quarter. You'll start seeing stuff showing ugly. And, and hopefully people ignore it, which I, I, I don't think they will, but um, it'll make people feel worse. And I think that's the problem we're having right now is it's a little bit of that. And then I wanted to also recircle back to foreclosures. Banks right now, by the way, too, if they foreclose on a property, they do not just throw it out there on the market as a distressed property and they do not take a loss. So when you're saying I'm waiting for a bank owned property and, and I, this came, thought came after obviously, um, is that they will fix properties up and they try to get market or above for values. So the days of the wholesale, holy crap, we don't know what to do with all these houses, just buy them from us at any price. I, I don't think we'll see. That's fair. Thank you. You're so smart, Courtney. I'm not smart. I just, I've lived through this crap. I just, you know, it's like the, it's not my first rodeo. I've seen this before. And it's like, I just get so upset when people are like, it's going to get horrible. It's going to get worse. Well, and I also think that people sometimes associate the word recession with the recession that happened in 2008. And that was a really, really bad recession. That was a housing recession. Right. It was a, it was a full economy full economic recession, as opposed to, you know, output slowing down for a particular reason, not because there's a bunch of bad financial practices in the market. So um, the market will eventually rebound. And I think that's, that's the point is that it's not going to stay like that forever. And you don't have to be afraid of, certainly there's always, bad things can always happen, but the, the likelihood that this is going to turn into a 2008 recession is very low. Right. Well, and I think that, you know, people too, um, you know, Courtney and, and Chris uh, are starting to buy houses for different reasons. You know, I'm starting to see people asking me for neighborhoods with more privacy. Um, they, they, they actually want that lot that they, if they, so they can kind of be hidden for whatever reason they feel safe with that, creating their own space. Um, there's also people that have been asking us for um, like more of a community base where they, they actually want to be where there's an active community where people are interacting. I've seen that. So it's kind of the opposite of the first request. Um, and then you're seeing stability too, where people, you know, they want to own a house so they know what their rent is going to be. I think rent rates too, the last couple of years, you guys, I don't know if you've watched this, but even in the twin cities, 5%, Chris, your fingers going, should be really going. It's been 5% consistently like the last eight years in a row that rents are going up. It's crazy. Rent is ridiculous. If you're paying rent right now, that's like staying at the Ritz Carlton every night, in my opinion. I think you're crazy. So if you're thinking about if you're thinking about selling right now, what I should calm down. I'm sorry. I uh the there's the air's a little thinner up here at the boundary waters and uh or the headwaters, I should say. Oh my gosh. So so if you have thought about selling and are not sure if now is the right time to sell or want to sell, but are nervous about the market, what are a few reasons that, um, and I'll throw just a few that we pulled up on the screen, but what are a few reasons that you should take that next step and consider selling right now? I mean, obviously if, if you're, um, yeah, right there, <laughs> there's, uh, there is low competition. That, that's very true. Um, but I think it's, it's more, uh, about, you know, the values and, and what price point you're in. And there's some that you can really take advantage of, um, right now. 
to be able to really, you know, and, and if you really think that it's going to go bad and whatever, then maybe, you know, rents are high, but why, why not take advantage of it right now, grab the big price and then buy when it goes low again, if you think that's going to be the problem. I mean, because that's what some people are saying, but I also tell people, I say, hey, you know what, if you're going to sell here and buy here, what's the difference if you sold here and bought here? I mean, because if it goes down, that one's going to go down too, but you sold yours at a high level, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I think you got to look at this a lot more, um, you know, that if it, if the situation is right for you as well, maybe it is time to, you know, grab something. And, you know, I know Andy's little stats told us that uh, the upper bracket (laughs) is selling. Big stats, um, Chris, they're big stats. Yeah, yeah. Andy's little stats are, um, <laughs> he loves numbers, but it's like, there is, I mean, some of the higher market is, it's, it's not going, but now all of a sudden there is some like um, South of the river that's, we got, there's a lot of buyers in that 900 to a million, million one range that all of a sudden just appear and there's nothing and their agents are trying to find houses and they're calling you and Hey, do you got anything available? And it's, it's crazy where it used to, you know, it's like, geez, please just buy this house so we can, you know, move on. So yeah. it's, it's very, is it, very are you seeing that um, with the low competition that in the luxury real estate market, that it's uh, homes are moving a little bit faster than they normally would too? Uh, let, me, let, let me actually pull that. Is that a loaded question? Yeah. In the million dollar price range, days on market has gone down 14% from an average of 172 to an average of 148. Well, and let's. Uh, That's like let's, a month. Yeah, and, and I that's it has to do with inventory as well. You know, there's just not much available. <laughs> Correct. You know, one other thing I was going to say, kind of to dovetail off what you were earlier commenting on, Chris, is talking about like when do you know it's a time to move? And you know, when you're doing the if everything goes down, everything goes down together. But one other strategy is when you're when you're improving properties, like if you buy a fixer upper, and you're um, if you're at the point of where that house is maxed out, it. You, you can't improve it anymore to where it adds value. You know, kind of get, you start getting diminished returns. Then you have to look at, you know, where do you want to, are you going to ride the appreciation train then? Or are you still building equity? So you want to maybe strategize a little bit, find the next property that you can build equity in again, where you're replacing the kitchen, fixing the, finishing the basements, adding a bathroom, adding a bedroom. Um, so some people are sitting still just riding the appreciation train, but What's the best vehicle for you strategy-wise to grow your investment? Um, There's a big difference out there. I mean, you can sit in a house that is already max value. Like right now, if you were under 350, I'd say sell. You're not, you're not going to, I don't know how that market can appreciate anymore because you go from a house that's listed at 300,000 and you look at $400,000 houses and you're getting almost twice the square footage in a swimming pool for another hundred grand. It's, it's so much, um, there's so much more above you, better, I should say better values above you in that price range that people are crazy not to jump if they can afford to. Yeah. And I think too, Andy, when you say that you don't know how much more they can appreciate, I think maybe the thing is, is they've gone up so fast that maybe they're just going to kind of ride along now versus, you know, getting that big excitement that, that hit that market. And that 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 happens. It, It does like that townhouse. I was saying that we were bidding 175 on that house, uh, 2009, sold for like 82000 That's pretty yeah. crazy. I mean, I don't know any other price range that's doubled, you know? Yeah, true. Yeah. 
I had to I had to move back to my office. So. You felt distracted, did you? Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> So bottom line, the market has changed over the last several years and it's a year round market. It's not just a spring market anymore. Totally agree. It's impacting literally every bracket of the market. Truth. Any final thoughts on, on that, that we don't want to hold until next week? No, but I'm sure we'll get questions on it. And then we'll talk (laughs) about it next week. Well, if anybody wants a copy, um, I'd gladly just email the show. Mm -hmm. Um, If you like numbers, I can email you out some of these reports that show days on market, shows the hottest price ranges. Um, And then Chris and I also have the ability to put you on um, something as simple as an MLS home search. And those agents that are listening agree with me. So if you already have an agent, you know, ask them to do the same thing. Put yourself on a search and be aware of what's happening around you. Knowledge is power. And I think it's important for people to know, you know, like where are they at with their house values? Cause I think a lot of people are guessing right now that, well, my house, I think it's worth 325 and it's worth 425. Um, might another hundred grand in your pocket might make the difference in you making your, your next lifestyle move. Maybe you do move to the lake. Maybe you do move to the, you know, the one level townhouse or whatever, you know? So. I think that's a good point too, where there's a big difference and, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to knock anybody, but I think there's a big difference, especially in such a condensed market to working with someone who is a real estate professional that sells real estate full time versus someone that's selling one, two or three houses a year, um, who maybe isn't as knowledgeable about this, the real intricacies of what's going on in the market. Um, I hear all the time about people that are, that are getting information that maybe isn't as up to date as it could be about their house. And it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion. Are you, are you referencing like online evaluators too? Like, yeah, Zillow? like Z, Z estimates are not super accurate. Yep. Um, you, you know, or maybe you just need more up-to-date information or a faster response time or something like that. Just because the market is moving so fast, it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion and um, and just talk to someone that maybe has those stats that they can share with you. Yeah, and you know, and I, let me throw this out at you because I think that it's interesting. The so they're using statistics, they're using the county records or the city whatever. They pull it in there. They try to see if you've pulled permits. So a lot of times they don't know, or it doesn't reflect like if you put in a swimming pool or you built a new mm-hmm. deck or you you know have the best view in town. And so there's new tools out there that the real estate industry is investing into. Tools like Matterport, and, and I'm not uh, bashing them, but the tool Matterport is, is so smart. It's machine learning technology within a virtual tour. They're learning. So when you do a Matterport tour on your house, for example, that information is going public. The, the, it'll, it'll identify the windows that are in your house. It identifies um, the view that is it at standard or above bar, uh, below bar. Can you see things out your windows when they do it? Um, all that information now is being tracked. That's why I'm kind of against Matterport, to be honest with you. Um, and they use that data so that w- in an effort to have the websites like the Zillow's and the whatever's of the world in the future be more accurate. Well, guess who also is going to tap into that? The tax man. The tax man's also going to love that because then they can increase your value without ever having to come to the house anymore because now they have a digital tour of your home. And, and I'm not saying that as a conspiracy. It's the facts. I listened to the guys talk out at our, our Remax R4 last year about who's paying to, to support this Matterport system. And it blew my mind and everybody's all on board with it. I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's, it's kind of, it's cool in a way, but it's, it's also a big brother. 
big time. I think I Big Brothers. Really I check think Big Brothers. I, uh, I think Big Brother is around. Um, unfortunately, oh, yeah. it's something that's it's coming, but uh, and it, it is. It's it is one of those things that uh, you know it's if it's here and you know it's not going to be fought and taken away then you have to figure out how to use it to, to your advantage yep so we'll see what happened to you that was good that was perfect he's got to look back at that this time andy the whole top of your head disappeared it just did it, again it's a nice it's a nice break in the day when i take my skull cap off right Oh, he's that oh, well, unfortunately, if you're listening, cast and not watching live, you're not going to get that little yeah. gem of a visual. With here or without here. Okay. Uh, we got questions, don't we? We do. Yes, we have. Oops, I just scrolled through the wrong question. All right, let's grab some questions from last week that are carrying over to this week. Uh, we want to put an offer on a house that is listed at 3,000 square feet. We've looked at enough houses to know without a doubt that there is no possible way this house is 3,000 square feet of livable space. It feels more like 2,500. We like the house. It's definitely big enough for our family. We just take issue with the misrepresentation. We're about to write an offer. How would you play that? Well, that's called reality. And I think a lot of people use, you know, oh, it's per square foot price. And, and that's probably what this person's thinking. It's kind of like, well, geez, I mean, this in this price range is only $118 a square foot, and they're saying it's $3,000, and so theirs is $114 a square foot. They're trying to make a big deal, but you know what? Um, the the measuring techniques of people are are so bad. I mean, and it's all over the place. And you know, I, I always tell people, you know, you got to make sure for yourself uh, that's tr true. You know, we can kind of. Uh, you know, we, other than bringing a tape measure with you, but if you already know it's 2,500 square feet, I mean, I think that's something that I would just be bringing up to that listing agent to let them know, um, because you're probably, you're, you're, that's a good negotiating point that you're helping them out, you know, not get in trouble later on. Because if you misrepresent, you know, a square foot, a hundred square feet over, that's one thing. 500 is a whole nother thing. You know, that's half of a story on um, some houses. So I think you just kind of let them know and you just, you know, if you want the house, the best way to not, the best way to not get the house is to start fighting with the seller, you know? So you just kind of acknowledge what it is. If you like it, let them know, just say, Hey, is, are you sure it's that big? Cause we've seen other ones that say around 2,500 and it might get them to appreciate you too. Ask me, you what know, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andy. I, I, uh, I measure every house when I write an offer. Oh, you do? Wow. Do you? Minute, I have my wheel in my truck, the old uh, click a wheel. Yeah. I swear to God, I will, I will literally measure a house. If I question it or if I feel like, yeah, this is off, I'll say, why don't you guys look through the house? Um, let me run around quick and just, I want to verify something. And I'll, I'll roll around the outside and I'll check square footages because I do a market analysis for people when I write an offer especially if it's a higher priced home, because just because you want 850 doesn't mean that we're going to pay 850 or that it's going to appraise for 850. So I don't want to waste my client's time either. So I'll go through and run a market. I verify the square footage quick. And then uh, that extra hour we spend on the front saves thousands of dollars. Usually. Um, so you, you go around the outside, just measure the, the foundation is what you're saying. I do a quick. Yeah. I'm not spending three hours out there, but okay. I'll tell you what, 
a good appraiser will also catch that and say, "Way, hey, the square footage is way off. And, or, you know, like a lot of these national Wall Street builders that are out there, like the Lennars and the Pulteys and the whatevers are out there, they build the same daisy model over and over and over and over again. So when it comes down to square footage, they know that the daisy model, when you built it, cost 30,000 less than the tulip model. And the tulip model or whatever, I don't know. I don't know my flowers very well. Um, the uh, So they, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it does make a difference. The builders, it costs more to build a bigger house and your house should sell for more if it is bigger. Um, you know, now when it comes to, like Chris and I have talked about this, lakefront, um, then the house is secondary to the value of the lot. And then you start looking at, you know, if you, what's the lot worth? Lot's worth a half a million. On top of that, you have a house that's worth 300. Well, let's ask 850 or whatever, you know, and that it's sometimes different, but. Yeah. But on this, on this too, though, it's, uh, you know, like Lake, Lake Shore, you know, everyone says, oh, it's $3,200 a foot, you know, and okay, so I have 100 feet. And so it's 320,000. No, that's not how it works. I mean, it's what the terrain is. I mean, a 50 foot wide lot could be worth more than a 100 foot wide lot, depending on what other characteristics that lot has. And so and that's the same thing with the house. I don't care if it's 2,500 or 3,000. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of 2,500 square foot houses that live a lot bigger than some 3,000 square foot ones that you can't utilize and how they put walkways in it and stuff like that. So um, that that whole per square footage thing is, it's a gauge and maybe over a bunch of houses, it can kind of give you a, a good feel for it, but it fluctuates within there because it's like, so what's, I mean, if I got 2,500 square feet, but I have it a walk-in shower with two uh, heads in it, and a, a separate tub, and the other one has a three-quarter master bath with a little, you know, three-foot shower. There's a big difference between those two, a big Great. difference in what the price is going to be. And is that kitchen updated? Is that one updated? So I think well, the square it, footage thing is, I think it's a little, it's taken out of context, and that's what appraisers use all the time. Well, and Courtney, you might want to write this down. I, I agree with this. <laughs> yeah. um, no, yeah. just film it. Film it. Film it. Um, it I already agree. is filmed. Yeah, okay, There's yeah. times where I look at, I've got this model called the Cape Cod, which is one of our best floor plans that we built. And to eliminate in, in, in the great room, we eliminate a bedroom and part of a bathroom upstairs. We have to slide everything over, open up that great room. It costs about $33,000 for us to open that up, put a big window wall in, um, you know, have the fireplace go up two stories tall, make it gorgeous, right? You eliminated a bedroom, you eliminate square footage, and now you're paying more. And the buyers line up like crazy because it's so dramatic, amazing, awesome, impressive, you know, like that, that next level that they're looking for, that people are willing to pay for that. Mm -hmm. So you're correct. Yeah. It's a great example of uh, you come in and you got a two-story foyer and you get this big open field. This place looks huge. The next house you go into has like the closet over the, the foyer. And so you don't get that open field and it's 300 square feet bigger. And you're like, what, what the heck? This one feels yeah. bigger. So yeah, it's, uh, it's how it's functionality flows. matters. Yeah, you bet it does. That's how, how do you think Andy sells? Highly functional. Obviously oh. off of style. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how common is it to make a lowball offer on a house that's been on the market for six to 12 plus months? Do those exist right now? Yeah, they do. They do exist. And, uh, and it's typically because they maybe were overpriced at the beginning and then all of a sudden different things, different factors that maybe weren't a factor or wouldn't have been a factor if it was priced right, 
become a factor that drives the price down. But I think it's also very interesting that there's some houses that sit, sit, and sit. I have a, a great example of one that we couldn't get an offer on. Now, this is many years ago, and it was $99,900, okay? And uh, it was probably mid-90s. $99,900 right on County Road 42. No one would buy it. A lot of people would look at it because even at that time, it was a, real, it was a good price. A lot of people, no, 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 no. And finally, we, we got an offer on it, and we got three offers on it. And, you know, after a year, but what happened was the market shifted a little. And now everyone looked at that price range and said, hey, this is really good. We never switched the price because, I mean, it was it was under there. And they're like, hey, we're, we're renting it out. I mean, everything that could go wrong with this house on a busy road, renters in it, you know, not in very good condition. Um, but we ended up getting three offers on it and we made more money than we had it listed for after a year. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. So, yeah, it, it's it's unusual, but it's sometimes that's what happens. All of a sudden a price point flips. And so maybe you've had something sitting for 850 to 900,000. All of a sudden, all the other stuff is gone and you're the only thing that's left, you know, and then people are like, well, geez, let's grab it. There's nothing else coming. Now a couple people grab it and you make more. It's like the, the story of your prom where you were the last guy standing there against the wall waiting to get danced with. Yeah, totally. Um, then so, they all felt sorry for me. I'll do it. Courtney, why don't you go ahead and read our good friend Bill's comment? Oh, I, I just was, but I was going to ask Chris a question first. <laughs> Hang Is on with about that prom? Uh, Well, Bill commented oh. that it's kind of like the square footage of Andy's head. Sometimes it looks like 3,000 square feet, and sometimes it looks like 500 square feet gets cut off the top. I want to go back on social media to comment on Bill's comment. He's if you're listening man. to the podcast version of this, you are going to have to go to the Real Estate Radio Hour on Facebook, look up this episode, which is, uh, what did we title this episode? Is Summer the New Spring Market from July 9th, 2020, and you need to watch it because otherwise you're not going to get the reference. <laughs> uh, but Chris, so how common is it? For building off of what you were just saying, how common is it for people to lowball uh, a send out a lowball offer on a house that's been on the market for that long? Well, Andy, you just had that happen. Yeah. Well, they're yeah, they're more susceptible to doing it the longer it sits on the market. It it, it doesn't. It's very rare at the beginning, you know, to get lowballs. Sometimes you'll get them, but a lot of people are afraid to do it. And so, but later on, it's kind of like, hey, you know what? They've been on nine months. Let's just try. It. Let's see what we can do. You know, it might not work. Does that happen more often in low in new construction because people assume that because the model's been there for a while? I mean, that's where I would see it. I would anticipate it would happen more frequently. Yes, it's true. So we just to give kind of some of you that are are listening along here. So when you build a new house, it it takes you know seven to nine months depending on who's pushing the project through. So if it's a spec home and you're trying to hit the spring market or you have a deadline you can push it through faster. But what a lot of the builders will do is ask their real estate agents to get those houses on the market the day the concept is, is conceived. So, you know, hey, we're going to build ABC model on 123 lot at whatever price, throw it out there and see if we can grab anybody. They want you immediately to start fishing for a buyer. And then as they go along, they make changes. So they may add at the specs meeting, they upgrade the, you know, the uh, colors or they upgrade the materials. And so we do another price increase. And then they come to spring, they add the landscaping. And then when they're finally ready to put it on the market officially as a model, um, you may have had five or six price increases or decreases on that house. 
but it, it shows almost a year of market time before it really gets listed. And so for occupancy. And so I think there's the MLS could help us out a little bit with that and do a better job of, of like Chris and I have identified this quite a bit. A to be built, the builders want to grab people's attention because they've already started making that interest payment. So they want somebody to, to come in and take that away. On the other hand, real estate agents that are trying to show properties get confused because a lot of agents don't identify them properly. And so then also they'll show that there's a house there with pictures that are like the last model and the house doesn't even exist yet. And so it, it skews the numbers too with active houses on the market. But I think that's different than to be builds versus houses under construction. But yeah, that's that's all the way around the block answer, but yes. Trying to put our next question on the, I was checking our Facebook comments. I need to put our next question on the, on the viewfinder. Um, sellers haven't left the house yet. Final walkthrough is supposed to be tonight. Closing tomorrow. What can we do? Delay closing. I, I think we're probably too late for this one, but uh, they probably already had that happen. But I think we run into that situation a lot. And I'll tell you what, what I tell people, um, you know, people have certain expectations and you have to kind of let them know what the expectations are. And not everyone leaves the house the same way that you would maybe leave it yourself. And so when you run into these kind of things, you know, you have choices. And obviously, if it's not ready or you don't think it's ready or you don't think it, you can't see it, you can delay closing. But you're also delaying your moving truck. You're also maybe delaying uh all the papers that need to be re-signed and especially nowadays, you know, I mean, a seller would have to come in and re-sign papers because it'd have to be redated. I mean, all the, everybody's pre-signing now and, you know, your mortgage paper would have to do it. And so it's, it's, it can cause kind of a big ruffle, but uh, you have every right in which to inspect the property prior to closing on it and, and delay it. And obviously the more willing you're to willing to delay it, the better your negotiation position is. Do you, does this happen very frequently? Yes. Where people delay because the sellers are not out of the house? That there's a problem with the walkthrough. Um, and usually you get past those delays. And, but if you're, if you're, if it's kind of like, Hey, Chris, you know what? We want this, we want this cleaned out. We want it done right. But we still want to move in at 8 AM because they allowed us to move in early. And this, that, that don't happen. And so you have to be on the thing that, hey, you know what? We're not closing. And you have to be prepared for that, you know? And if you've got a client that's really like that, you might want to be able to cover that up front. We just had an offer that uh, his clients are like, you know, they want, it, they want it looking good and they want it professionally clean before they move in. That was part of the negotiations, you know? And to me, you know, we, that's, I like that. You know, I mean, it's all settled up front. We don't have a problem when we get to closing. We're not going to have doing a it on purpose with, with half head. Yeah, he he must know the right spot to do it. But uh, <laughs> you, uh, whatever, whatever I was talking about. I mean, see, this is <laughs> this is what I dealt with for ten years, and nobody could see it. And they're like, "What? Why is Rudy not talking?" Because you have something like that you're looking at the whole time. <laughs> you know, I totally agree. <laughs> do, do you think that um are more people when people are upfront about it obviously it makes the whole process go a little bit smoother because you know what to expect and and everybody's expectations are very clear is that typically what happens in the process or is that something that's lacking in the process 
lacking. And I think it's especially lacking now with the market and trying to get a deal done, you know, because um, you start seeing people maybe negotiating that on inspections or just saying, hey, you know what, my client is really particular um, and they, they just want to make sure that it's clean. You know, and so and that's a way for, you know, me as a listed agent to go back to my cell and just say, you know what, to not have any more problems, you know, when you're when you're preparing your house to leave, leave it the way that you would want it. You know, so you gotta kinda clean it. We gotta yeah, yeah, you do gotta clean the appliances and, and stuff like that. And just be more upfront because a lot of people just kind of like let it sit, 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 and then all of a sudden it blows up. And so take care of it from the beginning. Do you also recommend that your, if your clients are particular, that they just plan to have a professional cleaning crew come through before they move in? You always, you always try to just say, you know what, it's probably not, whatever they do, it's not going to be good. You might want to plan to, you know, hey, maybe we close this day. You get a cleaner in and have all the carpets clean before you move your stuff in, mm-hmm. you know, and then they before can- Before all the furniture's in there and everything? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I've seen a lot of that two guys with acreage where you have- um, you know, the, the, the barn or you have, you know, somebody that's looking for storage of their stuff. And where I see an issue with that, you guys, is where the real estate agents aren't involved. And at the walkthrough, the home seller met the home buyer and they kind of did their own little deal behind the scenes because our agents are being so difficult and they're not letting us cooperate with each other. And, and they, so they make an arrangement like it, this happened to me a year and a half ago. And, um, I get a client that calls me and we go to do the final walkthrough and the house is full of furniture. And I was like, this is weird. I said, what, what, who, whose is this? They go, oh, it's the buyers. I told them they could move in their stuff because they're moving from South Dakota. And I'm like, okay. So now they, they have adverse possession. Um, they, they actually are a tenant now. And now we have tenant law to deal with. So if they don't close on the house, what are we going to do? And guess what happened? We didn't close on the house that day because their financing fell through. And then, yep. And also we're sitting there going, he says, I need 60 days to save up enough money to make the loan work. Now we have a tenant with stuff in the house. Instead of saying, we just cancel and move on to the next buyer. We were stuck. And then after all of that said and done, I get a call about six months later from my seller. He says, you know, um, I know you told me not to sell many personal property, but he still hasn't paid me for the tractor. Um, what do I do? And I, I follow up the story. Listen to your realtor. You know, what's funny is that we're not personal property salespeople. Um, we don't sell tractors. We don't sell whatever, but we should. I mean, they're, I hate to say it, but we should recognize it's the banks that make us not recognize it. But for God's sakes, if we're going to include that and we're going to make those part of the deals and, you know, it, there should be reality like, hey, you've got five acres. There's a riding tractor. You're going to want that tractor included. And how do we make sure that everybody's happy? The banks just don't want us to include personal property because there's opportunity for fraud. And so they they want to just deal with the mortgage. But in reality, the state of Minnesota should also recognize personal property or personal property agreements or whatever. Personal property is reality, you know, yep. because it, it feels value for some people if they don't have a riding lawnmower and that's a big yard and they have to go purchase a lawnmower after the fact to get it. But if they can get it thrown in, but it's also the worst thing that's in real estate. Is personal property because it gets so personal. It, uh, it's, it, it, you hit it right on the nose. It gets very personal, and uh, you know that tractor was given to me from my my grandfather's brother's sister's husband, and it was a 
something that, you know, I've got a knit or a, a scratch in the, the handle when I hit a branch that reminds me, you know, I changed my life that day. I mean, it comes to all these things. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, forget about the $800,000 house you're selling. They want my, my, they want my tractor. That's wrong. Why would they take my tractor? I mean, you get these things. So keep oh, the personal property out of it. We, we had a couch that a seller of mine up in Rogers, this was about 12 years ago. They, they put the couch in the basement before they framed it. And then they put in all these doorways and everything else. And now they couldn't get this big, fancy leather couch out of the basement. So the buyer comes in and they say, well, hey, do you want to buy our leather couch? It's perfect for this room. Not really saying that it, the only reason why we're doing it is because we can't get it out of the house without destroying it. And they came down and they agreed to $500. It was a $2,000 couch. And we're sitting at closing and the spouse of the seller says, you know, that couch anyway, you know, uh, being it's pleather on the back, you don't have to treat the back of the couch like you do the front of the couch where it's real leather. And the guy goes, pleather? I'm not giving you $500 for a pleather couch. And we sat at closing over a $500 couch and the whole deal was blowing up over a couch. That's why I'm telling you, I almost want to keep people in separate closing rooms because just those things that you don't understand that you're you're leading somebody on to anticipate or overreact to something. And even though I want people to meet, I want you to meet after you close. I want you to be best friends after you close and everybody's, you know, the deal's done, the monies are exchanged. Um, Cause this, I literally, I bought a couch for them. How, uh, how about that when they, you know, the one, the other, the buyer asked the, the client or your seller, you know, hey, what, what do you know about the neighbor next door? And then your sellers look at each other with a weird look. And then the, all of a sudden they start, and it's like, oh God, here we go. You know, <laughs> I mean, their opinions <laughs> on what it is. It's, it's, it's like, oh, stop the closing. Let's move. <laughs> it's just not going to happen now. You know? <laughs> there, there, there's probably a good reason why there's so many people that are, out there in the world that other states that don't have closings where people are even together. Yeah. yeah it's, it's you know, that if someone asks you that question in closing, your best answer is everyone's great. Like everything's great. Everyone's great. Probably not the time to have those conversations, but. Yeah. And the best way to not have those is not have them together. Yeah. You know, but people, some in Minnesota, everyone, oh, we're friends. Oh, we're great. You know, we love your house and thank you so much. And, you know, and that just, it doesn't happen elsewhere. And, Are they uh, still together with COVID? No. Okay. No. That's why all our closings, that's why all of our closings are successfully closing right now. Yeah, they're all still, <laughs> yeah. They just get done. It's really nice. So last question, guys. Um, how important is lawn care and landscape for the value of the house? Is it worth it to hire someone to take care of it? One thousand percent. If you're not good at it, get someone else in there. And yes, it makes a huge difference because what is it? It's the first impression someone has, you know, and if it's unruly and out of shape and it's crazy, you know, what's it take to get into shape? You know, and it takes a while. That's the one thing I talk about with rental properties. And I tell clients of mine, I said, you got to watch the yard and the landscape because it takes so long to get that thing back. You know, inside you can repaint and do new carpet, but outside it takes a long time to get it back. And so um, even if you're having your, your tenant take care of your the yard, you know, you got to be on top of it and have it, you know, uh, I would have the chemicals or whatever, have it weeded and fertilized on a normal basis and then be able to stay, you know, if you have a sprinkler system requires them that they have to run it at least 
you know, two times, three times a week or whatever, um, mm-hmm. because that can get expensive if you're on city water. And so some renters are like, hey, I'm not going to do it. Well, set that up front. But if even if you're living in it and you don't landscape very well, you want that outside looking great. I, I agree. And I think that there's also the element of, you know, Chris and I talk about everybody doing their first showing online. And then when they get there, um, you know, I call that your first impression, right? Where you're you're literally seeing the house for the first time, absorbing the space, seeing how it lays next to the neighbor's houses, what they look like. You know, you really get a feel for what the backyard is. And I'll tell you that first impression, I've had people stop at the curb and go, wow, the house looked a lot nicer online and I don't even want to go in. Well, you're selling a lifestyle. And part of that lifestyle comes with the impression that they have of the neighborhood and the exterior of the house and envisioning themselves in that space. Right. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of people struggled with buying foreclosures back in the day. They don't want to buy somebody's distressed issue. They want to buy a beautiful new home where they can love it and move their family in and have great memories. And, you know, if that's something as simple as putting a pot of flowers out on the front step and making sure they look beautiful for the showing and the yard's green and it's mowed fresh and they walk up and they're like, this is nice. This is what we're looking for. And is there also a reason that people buy townhomes and condos? Because of maintenance, yard maintenance. And so if it looks like it's a a freaking everyday after work kind of project, you know, hey, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that, you know. But if it looks good, then it's like, hey, all it is is we just got to mow it once a week. Right. There's not all of this rehab maintenance that you have to do. Right. Well, guys, that's all we have for this week. We went a little over on time, but hopefully we're all okay on time today. I'll try to get a backdrop for next week, guys, where you, you can see my whole head the whole time. So exciting. I don't know if I can do backdrops. I mean, I was going to have Maria create one for me. Um, that was pretty cool. That would blow your boundary waters out of the out of the water. Uh, <laughs> but I, apparently I don't show up when that happens. So when I, I have that. I I'm going to wear a suit again. This You're going to wear a suit? I think I'm going to again. I'm going to start okay. doing that again. It's kind of hot for suits right now. I know, but it, our pictures doesn't make sense here if we, you know. If, if we don't look the part? Yeah. Well, if you guys pull up a green screen, it makes it a lot easier, too. Then you don't have your hair cutting in and out. I don't have a green screen either, but. Uh, <laughs> I've learned that from all these Zoom calls. My God, if you would have told me, hey, Andy, 2020, you're going to be on 4,000 Zoom calls, I'd say, no way. And now it's the way you do all your business, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that's part of the reason why it's becoming a little impersonal too. Um, I go out to as many houses as I can because real handshakes, real relationships, real signatures outweigh all of these Zoom calls and the convenience because convenience equals a lack of connection a lot of times and people aren't connected with you. And it's, you know, I I look at what happened to me this week and I I just, uh, perfect example. Yeah, perfect. Well, guys, if you are watching or listening, thank you so much for joining us today. Please go like and follow our Real Estate Radio Hour page on Facebook. We have an Instagram account that is launching this week as well. Um, And if you have questions that you want to share with us for the guys to cover on the show, feel free to email them over to me, Courtney, at AmplifyUp.com. Have a great week. Thanks, Courtney. Bye, guys. Yeah, bye. Bye. 
Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.